You can turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll go ahead and begin with some prayer. Dear God, You you come before us and You say that if we thirst, we can come to You. If we are weak, we can come to You. If we fear, we can come to You, God. And we do. Our souls are dry. Our hearts grow cold. God, so we come to You. But we know that ever more sure, You will come to us. And so we ask in this time, God, could You come to us? Could You come and reveal Yourself to us, God, that we would have no doubt whatsoever that You reign as King over all things, that You reign as King even over our rebellious hearts, God. Bring them in conformity to Your image in the image of Your beautiful Son. Amen. Amen. If you had one week to live, one week to live, what would you do? Well, the world around us would have us throw ourselves into all of these licentious things that we, in prudence sake, have been withholding from our flesh. Some of you would spend every moment possible with your family. But what Peter has for us in this text this morning, he tells us what we should be doing. What should we do with the end at hand? What should we be doing? And it's much more accessible than you might think. And I'm sorry, it has nothing to do with exotic vacations, guns, or even or even running from the law. To the chagrin of some here. Yes. So what should we be doing? Well, it, it's right here before us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love, it it covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in all things, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what do we want to draw from this text this day, this morning? What do we want to draw? I hope you're able to see that your ordinary Christian life is extraordinary. 
your ordinary Christian life is extraordinary. So how are we going to see that? Well, in, in verse 7, we're going to see the setting, which is quite clear. The end of all things is at hand. That's the setting. And then right after that is the substance. What, what are we to be doing knowing that the end of all things is right at hand? And then finally, we're going to see the supreme glory of God. So we have the setting, the substance, and right at the end of 11, the supreme glory of God. So just to recap, over the last couple months, as you guys well know, we've been sitting under Peter. We've been good students of Peter, and he is shaping the way that we live in this world. And he's writing to these persecuted churches, but you realize he speaks very little about the persecution that's actually happening. No, no, but rather he's, he's more concerned about their lives than their circumstances. And he's using this letter for us as well to help shape us and our minds. And how do we live in this world? We, we have a new identity. We've been brought from death to life. And we have this new identity and we've been transformed completely. Yet everything around us is the same. Nothing around us has changed. And we are just sojourners and strangers and we're, we're passing on through. But our temporal lives here on earth, we must not focus on temporal things. And why is that? Well, Peter brings this up to here in chapter 4, verse 7. Why is that? Why do we focus on the eternal things? Well, because the end of all things is at hand. This is quite a bold proclamation made by Peter. And you have to wonder, quite frankly, was he wrong? The end of all things is at hand. It's quite quite amazing to write that in the first century. Here we are, 2,000 years later, still reading Peter's writing, and he's saying, it's it's at hand. It's He's not even saying, oh, it could come soon. No, it's, it's, it's imminently close. It's It's right at hand. As if you could grasp it. Yet, here we are. We're still here. The sun is still rising and the sun is still falling. The seasons are changing. The leaves that have bud around us in these last couple weeks will soon be drawn and blown around by a cold autumn wind. So is he wrong? Is he wrong? No. He's not. In the sense that eternity is just a moment away. It's right there. Eternity is just a moment away. Well, when is that going to be? Well, we don't know. But we do know it's just a moment away. And Peter is is obviously a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so you look and see what Christ says about this in Matthew chapter 24. He says that the end will come as a, a thief in the night. He says, therefore, you also must be ready, because this thief in the knife could come at any time. You must also be ready, in Matthew chapter 24, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour in which you do not expect. So we don't know when the end will come. We don't know when the hour will pass, but we do know that it is at hand. And Christ also teaches, he gives a parable about the ten virgins. 
and regarding the end times. And five of them are, are foolish and they are waiting for the bridegroom to come, who's obviously Christ. And they're waiting for this bridegroom to come and five of them are foolish and they don't bring extra oil and their, their lamps, they run dry and they're left in the darkness. But five of them are prudent and they are prepared to welcome the bridegroom and the king as he is coming and they await, eagerly await his return. So notice also that, that Peter is not writing this to, to cause chaos in the churches whatsoever, but to bring a sense of peace to the churches. Here they are, they're living strives in, in persecution. Then they're striving and they're striving and they're striving and they're longing to maintain this holiness that they have seen in the life of Christ. And they're running. They're running and they're nearing the end. There's race of endurance and they're famished. And Peter is holding this before them and saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. The end of all things is at hand. So I encourage you to, to change your understanding of the end and what it's going to mean. This is not something to be dreaded whatsoever, but rather this is something to be held out before us. To give us a peace and consolation. And in the midst of this pandemic, we have a heightened sense of the end. And there's a greater conversation of what that might be. And it's natural for uh, many people to respond in fear. And quite frankly, you should. If you have not placed your life and your trust in Jesus Christ, you should be afraid. And so if you are afraid, take a moment and ponder why that is. Perhaps your fear of death is God's grace in your life that you would turn to Him in this very moment. But for us who are in Christ, we know the outcome is secure because we're not striving to hold on to Christ, but rather He is the one who is holding on to us. He is the one who has created us and in us a new heart, and He is the one that will sustain us until the end when we see Him face to face. So these are precious words of encouragement. Peter is telling them, don't give up. Keep running the race. Keep running the race. You can, you can be like Habakkuk and be crying out, how long, O oh Lord, how long? How long will you tarry and not come? But Peter is here encouraging us. The end of all things is at hand. You see the final words of Christ in the Revelation of John. He, he tells them, and behold, I am coming soon in Revelation 22. Surely, he repeats himself, surely I am coming soon. And John, with the rest of God's people throughout the ages, have been replying, Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So we've seen that this, this end is never more than a moment away. But it's meant to encourage us, not to give us a sense of fear if, if you are in Christ, but to rather encourage us to continue running this race all the way to the end. 
But well then, how, okay, Peter, I see that. Well, how then am I supposed to live in these circumstances, in these settings? How should I live knowing that the end of the world is upon us? And surprisingly, it has nothing to do with hoarding toilet paper whatsoever. But we'll pick it up in verse 7 and see what Peter says. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, okay, what should we do? Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. As each show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each of you has received a gift, use it to, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks uh, the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So what should we be doing? Well, over this past week, I asked several of you in the church what you would do, how you would answer that. What would you do if you only had a week left? Uh, some of you would go on an exotic vacation with your family back to Hawaii when you, where you fell in love. Others of you would give your precious guns away, hoard some cigars, drive to Montana, and die in the mountains of Montana smoking cigars. I didn't write it. That's, that's just what was given to me. Uh, a common theme was to, to have a party with your family and friends and to reminisce about good stories and things that have happened and how God has shown His grace and love to you. Some of you would, uh, you, you said quite explicitly that you would spend every moment, every moment that you could with your families. Others of you, you said, if, you, if I have seven days, I will spend the first six days fishing by myself and writing letters to friends and family. And then on the last day, the seventh day, I will deliver these letters to, quote-unquote, said family. And some of you are holy rollers and you wanted to be able to preach one more time or to share the gospel with everyone that you encounter. So that's us, but the world, again, the world would have you bring into uh, mass chaos. You even see this, uh, Peter's, or Paul was fighting this when he's writing First and Second Thessalonians. He's correcting their understanding of, of what happens at the end. Some of them go, oh, the end is near. I'm not, I'm not going to work anymore. Then. Paul has to remind them, no, 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 no. If you don't work, you don't eat. You, you have to keep, you have to keep working. And what Peter is holding before us is something that is some, it's, it's far grander. Given the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the fullness of the revelation of who God is in Christ is going to be revealed and it is at hand. So how would Peter have us live out our final week? What would Peter have us to do? Well, he would have us be self-controlled, sober-minded, he would have us love one another. He would have us show hospitality to one another. That we would use our gifts to serve one another. I'm sorry, there, there's not one mention of exotic vacations, no gratification of the flesh. There's no deviation, what Peter would say. There's no deviation whatsoever from what the Spirit had you do the week prior. 
continue in obedience in that way. So I want you to see, in this, I want you to see that your ordinary Christian life is quite extraordinary after all. So we have this inward life in the end of verse 70. We be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled, it's the same wordage used in Mark chapter 5. After the demoniac is, has the demons cast out of him and he is self-controlled, he has a sober mind. And that is the evidence of the Spirit working in him. And all of this is for the sake of your prayers. Friends, do not let anything hinder your communion with God. That's inwardly. Outwardly, we keep loving one another earnestly. And with these several words, Peter is, is shedding a new light on what it actually means to love. Love is not passive. Love is not weak. Love is not timid. But rather, we are to be earnest. Earnest in our, our loving of one another. And there should never be a doubt amongst the people of God about the love that we have for one another. We are to do it with earnestly, and we are to be active in it. We are to be strong in it, and we are to be enduring in this. And this is not just, this is not husband and wife kind of language going on here. No, this is in the context of the church. How is the church supposed to endure in this well that we love one another in these final moments? In redemption, we as elders, we commend you in this area. So strongly. You guys are a rare jewel. Even, even amongst churches. It's beautiful to see. And I hope you're not taking it for granted. I hope you're active in it. Not just passive in receiving it, but you're active in sharing this love amongst the saints of God. And, and one more thing. Don't forget this. Practice hospitality. And when they leave, well past your bedtime, and your house is a mess, and your children have put on your children's costumes and peed in them, and then they leave, do it. Do it all. Yes, yes. Do it all without grumbling. And, and then go on and serve one another. In light of the end being at hand, go ahead and serve one another. Whatever gift God has given you, use it to serve one another. If it's speaking, well then speak with the oracles of God. If it's serving, then you serve by the strength that God has given you. And then trust, I trust in you seeing all of these ordinary things. I trust that you are seeing that Peter is shaping the way that you live in this world. And that you're seeing that your ordinary Christian life is extraordinary. Peter is calling you in light of God coming back eminently soon to be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers, to love, to show hospitality, to use your gifts. And so this is not a, a diminishing of the end being at hand, but rather this is an elevation of the ordinary, the faithful Christian life. Peter would have you do no other thing than this. Because, so the, the urgency to do these things is regardless of the time. 
The urgency to do these things is because of the preeminence in it and how it points to Christ. So moms, what were you to do if Christ were to return next week? Change diapers. Not that you're tied to it, or not that you're constrained to it, but you are free to do these ordinary things. And knowing that this, this is the calling that God has placed on your life. Or you go to work as a nurse. If you have a week left, then you be self-controlled and sober-minded as you serve other humanity, the creation of God, and bring Him glory in that. So Peter is calling you... <clears throat> To this extraordinary thing. And so he's not calling you to really change what you're doing. As if the super Christian life is somehow in a battlefield way out over there. In the first three centuries, if you wanted to be a super Christian, um, you would die a martyr. Until 1313 with the Edict of Milan, when the Christianity became the state religion. And then after that, well if you wanted to be a super Christian, well then you would go... Uh, sell all that you have and go live by yourself in a monastery. And then you have the rise of nationalism after the Reformation and the, then the dissolution of a lot of monasteries. And so, how do you, how then are you a super Christian if you can't really be a martyr, or you can't really be, live in a monastery? Well then, you go and do missionary, missions work. And it's always thing after thing after thing that is held before you. But no, Peter is calling you to see that what you are doing is redeemed as you are carried along and moved along by the Holy Spirit. And it's such a preeminent thing, these ordinary things that you do, that Peter would have you do nothing else if there was just a week left. So we do have this sense of urgency about us as Christians. Yes, yes, we do. We have a sense of urgency to wake up tomorrow and go to work. But why? That's the looming question. Why are we able to do these ordinary things that everybody else does as if there's something special? Well, let's go ahead and, and return to the text here. We see that the end is at hand and how are we to live? Oh, self-controlled, sober-minded. We love one another. We show hospitality to one another. We use our gifts. And we serve by the strength that God supplies. And this is why. In order that, in everything, in everything, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong all glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. You see that, this, this quantifier here, in order that in everything, in, in all things, God might be glorified. Not just selling all that you have and going to missions, not just living in a monastery, not just being a martyr, but that in all things, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. Through you being self-controlled and sober-minded through you displaying your love, through you showing hospitality without grumbling, through you serving with the strengths that God supplies through your gifts. 
And Satan, he's always going to be there, isn't he? He's always going to be there and just lying, just whispering in your ear that it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. But here is the Word of God ringing true in your ears and in your heart so that even the most mundane tasks, remember, in all things, even the most mundane tasks can be done to the glory of God. So when we speak of the glory of God, it's um, how do you? It's tossed around quite a bit. When you see this. It's kavod in, in, in the Hebrew. It means to be weighty or to be have an honor or importance. And so you see that um, Abraham, he is in uh, Genesis 13. He has kavod. He has he has this honor displayed upon him because of all of his cattle and all of his gold and all of his silver. Later on in Genesis chapter 45, you see that uh, it's Josh or uh, Joseph. His brothers speak of him having this, this glory or this kavod, this, this honor because of his social position of, of being Pharaoh's right hand man. So then when you take this word, meaning, meaning weight, of importance, of prominence, and then you couple with it, Adonai or Yahweh, well then you get something entirely different happening. When you combine these words, well, then you start seeing the fire of God coming down and consuming Mount Sinai with a cloud around it. When you combine these words of the glory of God, well, then you start seeing fire come down again and burning up the offering when Solomon is dedicating the temple. Look at, look at these words in the David, the, the Psalm of David in chapter, um, Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord with splendor, uh, in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. And then in Christ, you have the fullness of God's glory, the fullness of deity being poured into flesh and living among us. Making known the honor, the renown, the glory, the splendor of God. And this is why this text matters to you. As you're going about your seemingly ordinary Christian life, you are doing far more than you could ever ever imagine. Be encouraged. Some of you, you need to just rest. Rest. And know that God delights in you. And your seemingly, your ordinary life is bringing God far more glory than the mountains rising, the trees clapping their hands, or the fields of wheat dancing in the wind. And this is why your life, one of the reasons, why your life has value and why it matters. So as you're changing diapers, you are doing it to the glory of God. As you're passing meds and flushing IV sites, you are doing it to the glory of God. As you're fixing copiers, you are doing it to the glory of God. As you are scrubbing the floors in your home, you are doing it to the glory of God, as you're building homes or renting out buildings or creating art that is that is trying to image the beauty of God's creation. All of this 
in order that in all things God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. So beloved friends, know that it's not just your souls. I hope you're seeing this. It's not just your souls that have been redeemed. But everything about your life has been redeemed. That in walking and waking, you might bring glory to God in your ordinary life. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, we... um, we are reluctant to truly let it sink in that it is finished. It is so easy for us to strive and to work and to think that there is always something more, something more, something more that we must be doing. But God, let us rest and rest in You. And know that the life that You've called us to, it might seem mundane, but God, You would have nothing else for us than to be faithful and obedient to You, God. I pray that You would crucify our pride this week. That we think that we can do far more than You would call us to do. But God, let us be content in these things and in this life that You have called us to. We pray this in Your glorious Son's name. Amen. Amen.